Next, this month's special series focus on disaster medicine and preparedness. Unforeseen disasters carry unique challenges and learning opportunities. This month, we present conversations that scrutinize our plans and protocols and ask, how prepared are we? How will we react? You're listening to ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Dr. Michael Brannigan, Vice President, Clinical and Organizational Ethics at the Center for Practical Bioethics in Kansas City. Thank you, Dr. Brannigan, for joining us. Today, we're going to be discussing the ethical issues that could arise during a national disaster. First, Dr. Brannigan, could you tell us a little bit about the Center for Practical Bioethics? Sure. Well, the Center's been around for about 20 years, and uh, it's been a major force in addressing ethical issues in healthcare. We deal with uh, most of the hospital ethics committees here in, in the region. We've established guidelines in many, many ways. We've worked on withholding withdrawal guidelines. We've worked on medical futility guidelines. We've worked on sharing advanced directives with the population. So we've really been, I think, a major voice in helping patients and in helping health professionals address the many difficult ethical issues that they face. Could you tell me some of the ethical issues that you see happening and conflicts that might exist in a national disaster? That's a very, very complex question, and and obviously the response to that is equally complex. There are numerous ethical issues, and I think one way to sort of break down these issues would be to see them in terms of basic areas of concern. First of all, there's what we would call the macro level of concern. That's the wide issue of federal legislation, state legislation, and city uh, legislation regarding disaster planning. Another level would be the institutional level, what we call the meso level, the issue of health care institutions and how disaster planning would pretty much roll out in specific situations. Another level is the micro level, the individual patient, physician, health care provider level, and all kinds of ethical issues here. Example, one example of that would be what would be the extent of a health provider's duty to care for his or her patients over and above his or her duty to care for family members uh, prior to that, especially if we're dealing with an infectious disease. Another level is the social level. When it comes to quarantine or isolating citizens, how do we do that in a fair way? So I would say these are four basic levels. And within that, within that scheme, Dr. Baker, we have all kinds of ethical issues that fall under that. Do you feel that in the past we have been preparing for these issues? Because if you prepare, it forces us to consider priorities and actually our own values. Well, in the past, we've certainly been prepared for, to some extent, for dealing with disasters and mass casualties. But uh, the particular concern that we have here at the center is the concern regarding preparation and response, which is morally and ethically appropriate an example would be this. Without any doubt, there will be a need to distribute and allocate uh, ventilators in ICU units. Now, that's, that's an issue now. When we have a, an emergency, 
when we have a pandemic, whether it's a man-made disaster or whether it's a natural disaster, there's going to be the increased need for ventilator support. So the ethical issue would be, well, how do we distribute the scarce ventilators that we do have? How do we allocate them in a fair way? The same would hold with respect to other treatments, such as vaccines, such as retroviral agents that may be used uh, to counter a virus. So that, that would be an example of that. And now the, the question is, have these been done and have, have these been thought out in a morally appropriate fashion? And that's the concern that we have here at the center. Do you think we've learned anything from Katrina in these issues that you've just described? I hope we learn from Katrina and, and also other major catastrophes such as the SARS epidemic and the Ebola virus that happened years ago, that preparation is and will always be the key. We have to be prepared, first of all. And secondly, we have to all be pretty much on the same page. One of the problems with disaster preparation is that there could be a disconnect among institutions. So one of the problems with the Katrina issue is that a lot of the hospitals in the region were not on the same page in terms of how to deal with the disaster and how to deal with so many patients and how to evacuate the patients and how to deal with the scarce resources that were there. So that's going to be an issue. Another very, very important issue that we can learn from uh, from the past, such as Katrina, is that it's all important, absolutely critical, crucial, that the public is involved in the preparation because no matter how well prepared an institution may be, the public still has to buy into that. Without public buy-in, no matter how effective, no matter how prepared we are, it's going to be very difficult to put it to implement. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Reach MDXM, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and today our guest is Dr. Michael Brannigan, Vice President of Clinical and Organizational Ethics at the Center for Practical Bioethics. We're discussing the ethical issues that become involved and may arise during a national disaster. You know, you bring up an interesting point. The public has to buy in and become involved. And I was just wondering how you felt the media handled Katrina, which is our most recent disaster, how they got the public to buy in, and did they give the news in a fair way? That's a difficult uh, question again, but it seems that a lot of the reporting actually contributed to a lot of the issues. I don't know. I'm not too sure that the reporting was fair and was uh, was balanced. Certainly, the idea of major panic setting in afterwards and the public reactions what that can do, especially if it's inflated, can actually contribute to a lot of the problems. So I believe, and your question is very, very on target, is that basically there has to be fair media reporting, which is balanced. And that's going to be a key element in terms of public buy-in. Here's the challenge. The challenge is how can we report this in a fair way which will minimize the potential for public panic, and which will enable the public at the same time to understand the issue in a fair way, in a fair, reasonable way. That's, that's going to be a real challenge for media reporting of, of this sort of situation. I certainly, you know, had the feeling that 
there were ethical issues that the media stepped on. One of the things that crossed my mind was the continual use of the word slow response that we heard with Katrina. And now I'm no expert, nor are they. And I was wondering if they went to agencies that are used to dealing with disasters and got their opinion about the slow response that you heard over and over again on a daily basis. I'm not the best person to respond to that because I'm not too well-versed on how the media did approach different agencies in the the Katrina disaster. But again, I, I do note that the role of the media and the public media is really critical in this. And again, the challenge will always be how do you present the information in a way which is balanced and fair and which will enable the public to respond in a reasonable fashion. How do you ensure that dollars are managed and distributed equitably? It's basically the allocation on that macro level. How much funding do we give to disaster preparation, number one, in the light of uh, other kinds of concerns and priorities that we have? How much of a priority should disaster preparation assume? That's a difficult question to answer. It seems to me from my discussions and from a good part of the literature that there really hasn't been enough funding given to disaster preparation to the various state governments by the federal government. That's certainly an issue that has to be addressed. When money is distributed, how do you deal ethically with the whole idea of people who might be better off personally, might have insurance? How do you deal with future relief and setting money aside. How do you deal actually with compensating firemen and policemen as opposed to civilians who might really have shown just the same level of courage during a disaster? That's one of the big questions that's going to have to be addressed is the issue of uh, is uh, providing whatever resources and treatments that we have that are available. Who gets the treatments first? The literature seems to indicate it. It's pretty, it's pretty given that the frontline workers, emergency responders, Vaccine manufacturers, for instance, emergency workers, they would be getting the vaccines first. Their difficult question is who then gets the treatment after that? Now, part of your question is, well, who comprises the front line? And that's, uh, again, a question that needs to be uh, addressed, and there has has to be clear as to who this front line is. Because when you measure everyone's particular value in response to the community, you're absolutely right. How do we minimize or say that the contribution of a fireman is any less than the contribution of emergency personnel? So these are questions that need to be raised. So who comprises the front line? But once we decide and once we agree that the front line workers receive the vaccines and treatments first, then the difficult question, much more difficult question, is who gets that, the available treatments after that. Yeah, I was wondering, does the person who is high risk get the treatment, or does somebody who has a better chance of surviving get the treatment? The issue of rationing is probably one of the most plaguing of all the questions, the ethical questions here that we're, that we're talking about. We're having a guest speaker who will give the Flanagan Lecture coming on July 19th. His name is Ezekiel Emanuel. He works for the National Institute of Health in their bioethics department. And he wrote an article in the May 2006 issue of Science, which argued that in case of a pandemic, available vaccines and retroviral agents should perhaps be given not to those who are at highest risk, but to those who are the healthier and those who stand to gain 
because they still have a longer lifespan and a normal lifespan yet to live. The traditional response by the Health and Human Services, by the government, two committees got together in November 2005. This was the National Vaccine Advisory Committee along with the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. These two committees uh, argued that the criteria in rationing would be to minimize illness and death and to protect the most vulnerable. Therefore, those most at risk ought to be the ones who are given the vaccines. However, in Emanuel's report, he argues, along with Alan Wertheimer, that if we study history, for instance, you mentioned Katrina earlier, if we go back to the 1918 influenza, the viral strain was such that it affected the healthier population rather than those most at risk. So if we have a viral strain that's similar to the 1918, then the healthier will be the ones targeted. I want to thank Dr. Michael Brannigan, who has been our guest, and we've been discussing ethical issues that may arise during a national disaster. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Disaster Medicine and Preparedness. For a program guide and complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com and download ReachMD's new iPhone application, Medical Radio. Listen to the same live stream of ReachMD medical news and information you enjoy on XM160. Plus, CME and thousands of searchable podcasts. Download the Medical Radio app today.